This is the Head Torch Podcast. Welcome. Our mission, to create a mentally healthy culture at work. Keeping the conversations alive, our podcasts bring you great presenters and stimulating discussion on mental health and well-being in the workplace. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to this Wellbeing Hour. Great to see you all. I'm Amy McDonald. I'm Angus Robinson. And of course, we have the fantastic Naziha Mahmood here, who we're going to be getting into conversation with shortly, and I'll be introducing uh, in more detail shortly as well. For those of you that aren't familiar with HeadTorch, what we do is we work with organizations to develop their, their cultures in terms of creating a mentally healthy culture. We work with all sorts of organizations, large, small. We work with senior leaders, frontline people, and of course, managers, upskilling people to be able to be proactive and support each other's mental health and well-being in the workplace. And we've been delivering these well-being hours now for, for some time and are super delighted to have Nizia with us here today. So let me just explain a little bit, first of all, about what how the session's going to unravel and then and then we'll continue on from there so basically shortly I'm going to be introducing Naziha then she will introduce herself using a mystery object and then she and I are going to get into conversation basically so I'm going to ask her lots of questions and then later on she's going to pose us a question so at that point we'll be asking you to uh, put your imaginary hand up and uh, unmute yourself and ask Nazia question and we will take it from there and then she'll have some top tips for us as well later on. So that's roughly the the format and we we finish in an hour's time. So for us here in the UK, that's at one o'clock. I'm not sure what time it is in Boulder, Colorado, but it's an hour from now. So without any further ado, let me introduce Naz to you. Naziha Mahmood is an Earth Intelligence Sales Engineer at Spire. She is also the Chairperson at Scottish Government for Equality and Wellbeing Manufacturing Working Group. And I heard you speak, Naz, at the Scottish Engineering Dinner, actually. It was uh, about a year ago or so, something like that, nearly that and um, was really inspired by what you were saying. And so just to give you a little bit of uh, Naz's background, she graduated with honours in physics, with astrophysics, and then went on to do a postgrad in space mission analysis and design, which is even difficult to say, so I don't know what it was like to study, and aerospace engineering. She went on to work in an industry in industry as an earth observation systems engineering engineer sorry, at Vega UK, Uh, Then as a STEM development manager, she became actively involved in the equalities and human rights sector, and with particular emphasis in equality, diversity and inclusion for women and people of minority ethnic backgrounds. She was also, at one point, the equalities expert for Scottish engineering. Naz has a humongous array of awards, all of which I can't go into, but I can tell you a few of them. She was chosen as a world changemaker for space-based applications for climate monitoring. She's patron for personal safety for the blind and visually impaired. And she is the leading woman of Scotland in STEM. Uh, She won that award issued by Equate Scotland. So, Naz, let me pass over to you. And if you'd like to introduce yourself a little bit further with that mystery object of your choice, 
that would be fantastic. Good morning, everybody, and very early morning in Boulder. Um, great to be here today, and thank you for that amazing introduction. It's always so strange to hear that back at me. So I don't think my mystery object is very mysterious for anybody who knows me and for those who might have just heard a little bit about me. But as Amy had mentioned, I so I'm a person with a visual impairment. I'm partially blind by law. So I one of the ways I managed to find my feet ever since I was a child was through the practice of martial arts. So I'm trained in over, over 13 martial arts and I specialize in sword arts and I teach sword arts from different cultures as well. So it's no prize that my mystery object is going to be a sword. So this one here is actually my master sword who is now retired and living his, the rest of his life over in the Far East. I know it's kind of cutting off into outer space right now but that kind of works well for me anyway considering my background. So I guess one of the reasons that this means a lot to me is basically because sword arts just like any other arts are a form of self-expression. So just as an artist would use their brush to express themselves or let's just say a poet, their pen. For me, my swords became a form of my self-expression. It's a very spiritual act as well as being almost like dance-like in viewing. And of course, you know, I think it's a good thing to have uncomfortable conversations sometimes if it leads to people understanding more. So as many of you could probably imagine, some people would see my face and then they'd see a sword and they would associate that with a lot of very stereotypical topics, as you could imagine. But the more you look into the arts, you realize it very much is an artistic practice. And a, one part of it is what the swords stand for. They stand for discipline, spirituality, growth, honor, social duty, faith, and of course, precision. And just like the way a, a sword is made, I was explaining to the Head Torch team just before everybody joined that it takes a lot of years and skill and effort to forge a sword. It requires high heat, pressure, force, stress. And after going through all of this, it, these raw materials then come out as something stronger, sharper, and much more resilient. And in a way, you know, very, in a very creative way of, crea of creating that scenario, I guess that helps to describe a lot of what my, my life path has been like. Yeah, I guess this is one of the reasons I chose that as my object. The second one would have been a clean would, would have been cleaning equipment probably, but I'll leave it to that. <laughs> That's lovely. Stronger, sharper, richer, fabulous. So let's start with uh, your your time at university. You, you studied astrophysics, which to me is completely just alien in and of itself. But so for you, that was easy, right? Um, no, not at all. <laughs> It's never easy for anybody, but I think one of, well, one of the points I often like to make about studying anything within the STEM fields, so that's science, technology, engineering, mathematics, is that the entire point of studying a STEM subject is to work towards a better tomorrow for the world in general. And by being able to work towards understanding the very fundamental workings of our universe we're able to understand more about the earth about ourselves and how we can push forward for a better healthier safer world as well so it's very much interlinked with um a lot of things that a lot 
people would not associate with the sciences. So, for example, activism, for example, with um, working towards social, uh, social justice, a lot of this requires scientific backing. So for me, with astrophysics, yes, the, the physical study of it was very difficult because it's basically physics on an extreme level. Um, but it was very much worth it because being somebody who can't see a hand in front of my face very well, everybody with me was were studying something they couldn't see either. So we were all one in the same. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So tell us about your ex- an, an experience you've had then when you, you, you finished university, you were applying for a job. Would you like to explain and tell us a little bit more about some of the experiences you've had? Mm-hmm. So, of course, you know, I've had some wonderful experiences within my career. So working with um, a lot of space-based organizations, working with Scottish engineering, many, I, I see some names from Scottish engineering here today as well. So hi everybody and absolutely fantastic organizations. But of course, there's always going to be bumps along the way. And I think this is where it's important sometimes for everybody to take a step back and understand just how When I say privileged, I don't mean that in a necessarily a negative sense, but in the sense of where they might sit within that society and how safe they might be compared to some others. So an example, and I've mentioned this to some other people before, is that I remember once I, I had a job interview and this was in an area which is known as like a space hub within the UK. And at that point, you know, I had only been given like very short notice to study for this interview. It was the dream job within the space field. I was very young, you know, going into this field and this meant everything to me. So I studied my butt off. I, you know, made sure I covered all the angles that I could. And it just so happened, my parents were going to be driving past that area anyway. So they said, well, why don't we drop you off? Because it's in the middle of nowhere. So off we went, I went along, my parents dropped me off. I did my interview and then on my way out, I there was a building and although I was like 500 meters away, I took a selfie with the building behind me to send to a colleague of mine because he'd always wanted to go to that place, you know, and I, it was basically me saying, Hey, look where I am and got in the car, off we went. But the thing was when I had the interview, you know, they were very positive. They were really happy. And often you don't see, you know, uh, recruitment doing this, but they'd basically given me a thumbs up and said to me, we're really looking forward to having you in. So I was overjoyed. And then I went, came back home, didn't hear anything back until a couple of days later, there was a knock on the door and there's two detectives and they're saying to me, asking me for my dad, actually. And they're saying, oh, is, is, is Mr. Mohammed here? And I said, well, he's not in at the moment. So they said, we'll come back later. So of course that raised a lot of anxiety. We were wondering what the heck is going on. And they come back another, you know, about another day or two later, they set us down and they said to my dad, you know, Mr. Mahmoud, did anyone have your car recently? And we said, no. And, you know, other than the fact that it was in for an MOT for one hour at some point, but no, no one's had the car. But then I remembered, I said, well, no one's had the car, but we've been somewhere in the car. Where were, where did you go? We went to this place. Yes. What were you doing there? I was there for an interview. And suddenly both of them just looked at each other, dropped their heads, shook their heads and thought, said, actually, you know what, we know what's happened. Never mind. You've got nothing to worry about. And I said, well, you have to tell us, you can't just leave us in this level of anxiety. What happened? And it turns out that while I was there taking a selfie outside where there's bus stops, people on their phones, somebody, and this is in a very prestigious area that, that's specifically there for engineering. 
Somebody had called the police and reported a suspicious looking person in that area. So what had happened is, of course, to to then see that my alibi was true, they had to call the company and say, oh, did so-and-so come here? And of course, who's going to hire someone who's got the police calling about them? I never heard from them again. I, I tried following up and so on. And this is after being given the thumbs up and all sorts. And I thought, well, even if they're not going to give you the job, they'd give you feedback or something, but nothing, nothing came out of that. All based on the fact that one person thought I looked suspicious. And what was so suspicious? Was it the new suit that I bought for my interview? Was it my handbag? Or was it literally a piece of cloth that seemed to be enough of a barrier to make me some, some obstacle or some danger to society? And this is a society that I'm a part of and I'm integrated in. And I work hard towards bettering as well, just like so many people out there who may be of many different other protected characteristics. So, Absolutely. so what, what, does, what does that experience, how did that, drive you forward in terms of you know, what what you what you do well of course it does take a bit of an impact or a hit on your mental health um and just generally you think it would have an an impact on your outlook on society but instead what it did was made me realize that there's a heck of a lot of work still needed for us to get to a point where people can feel safe and included and accepted within their own, their their own cities, their own towns, their their own societies, as I keep saying, and that kind of helped propel me into getting more into the equality sector and fighting for um, a more inclusive, safer, and more diverse sector. And one of the things I do love is that within Scotland, we are seeing an increase in that slowly but surely. We there's well, an a increase in an increase in people joining. Uh, equality, diversity, inclusion groups or increasing people understanding uh, and being um, open-minded? And... I think it's a bit of both because you're seeing an, it's very slight, I mean, it's very slow, but we're seeing a slight increase in, for example, those from protected characteristics coming into the sector um, compared to say like 10, 20 years ago. But we're also seeing more initiatives being kicked off for um, pushing towards or supporting more best workplace best practice or supporting SMEs or organizations to initiate some type of support groups or so, or so on for those um, within their companies. And considering the engineering sector is one of the fastest growing in the world and is very much based on global competitiveness as well as innovation we need to make sure that to stay at the forefront of that competition we are getting insight from every different perspective we can get that means from different ways of life and different experiences which is critical for us moving forward yeah absolutely and you said you'd had many good experiences as well so can you tell us some of the qualities some of the good stuff that you've experienced then so there have definitely been some positives and some of those are actually going to come up within my, my top tips later on. But one thing I can definitely say is a lot of it comes from leadership. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a leadership that supports their, their workplace and their employees where just having somebody asking you how your day is coming along, asking you if everything's coming along okay, somebody who kind of sits with you and tries to understand the situation and ask questions to actually understand you better as well. So I've had, for example, when I worked at Vegas Space Systems, I had a fantastic team there. 
I can never say enough about Scottish engineering. And I'm not just saying that because Paul's on the call. <laughs> but truly, I recall moments where I personally was in just, I was personally in just such a low state. And just having the support from that team, you know, they're behind you, that you you truly feel like you're part of a family as opposed to just a workplace where you're just one individual in a corner. You know, it makes the biggest difference. Absolutely. Just that taking an interest in each person as an individual is so crucial, isn't it? Yeah. Building that that sense of feeling yeah. respected and valued and Definitely. all of that stuff. As you I say, mean, feeling part almost as a, as a family yeah. is super, super important. So without a, without a diverse workplace then, without that, what do we have? What we have is a lack of representation of our people. At the end of the day, yes, you have minority groups, but if you look to understand what we require, just as I mentioned earlier, for any sector, it doesn't have to be engineering or, or science, it could be it could be the hospitality sector, it could be anybody. How are we supposed to move forward without understanding the different ways of life out there? And more so than that, what we have is a society that feels oppressive, a society that lacks understanding of the world and is basically going backwards and considering how or sorry countries and cities are becoming so much more diverse travel tourism is growing and so on I mean not considering what happened with COVID it's so incredibly important for people to realize that and more so on a moral from a moral point of view and from an individual perspective you cannot grow if you are still living in the same bubble you you grew up in in a sense or the one scenario you've known all your life so to have an just to have exposure even that is a fantastic thing so to work into our workplace sorry to walk into workplace even if i don't speak to other people but just seeing another woman in a male-dominated field or just, for example, seeing somebody else who might be of different ethnic backgrounds mm -hmm. or whatever, I have more trust for my organization. I feel more connected. I, it makes me want to work, not necessarily more, but like harder and smarter. So yeah, it's, it's about bringing society together and people together. Yeah. And actually, I'm reflecting back to what you said at the beginning about that, the martial arts and how it makes you stronger, sharper, and richer and and bringing that diversity to the workplace is it not the same i'd like to think that there's a lot of crossover there because when i would for example when i would start a class when i would be teaching or you mean teaching, teaching martial teaching martial, martial arts. arts yes yes so when i'd be teaching martial arts or if i'd be teaching along with alongside my own master <clears throat> what you would find is Whenever you've got students coming in, if it's all just the one demographic of students, if it's just the same age or if it's just the same gender or whatever, it feels very cliquey. It becomes almost like, like a little like a lads group, if that makes sense. But when you see different people from different backgrounds coming in, it's a sense of learning more and learning to learning how respect comes in so many different forms as well. And of course, I mean, somebody can look at me and they can say that, yeah, but, you know, you sit on a line between so many different cultures. You are, you look Middle Eastern, you sound Scottish, you know, but, you know, you've got parents who are English, you're Southeast Asian, but you practice Far East Asian martial arts as well as some European ones. How does that all fit in? I'm like, at the end of, you can see in the picture behind me, you know, like we all live on that little blue dot behind me. It doesn't matter about any of these barriers. And I know I'm just kind of preaching to the choir here, but... One thing I, 
I know you, you could be an equalities expert, but everybody to some extent has some form of unconscious bias, no matter how small it is. And again, that was another tip of mine I might go towards later, but it's so important to question ourselves sometimes. Um, Fantastic. Great. So if the miracle was to happen, Naz, and there was equality for all in the workplace, what would, what would that look like? What would we see here feel? Yeah. Well, from the business perspective, we would see less people, you know, like such a high turnover rate, you know, we would see less people needing to take stress leaves. We would see more people feeling um, closer to their organizations. We would see organizations feeling more like almost like family environments, regardless of how big they are, is because of that trust that's built between you and your employer. If there was true equality, of course, that would feel like heaven on earth in a sense. But keep in mind, though, that you could have equality on the workplace. But if our laws are not are not reflecting to there's still work still to be done. So, yeah, t- thinking about it from, for example, from an intersectional point of view, it's not just about being a woman, being somebody from an ethnic background, being somebody of a certain age group, you know, um, it's about considering the impacts it has, like all of these issues that arise can have on people who can sit on those uh, intersectional lines as well and then when you apply that to kind of the the broader sense of law that you have or within your within your countries it needs to be tackled from the ground up so you could have one organization that's bet, met all of its NI goals and they're doing fantastic but if if what's happening in the side of law is not reflecting that then it's not going to take long for things to start falling apart again. Right, because it needs to have the right people in yeah. place to to develop that that culture. Yeah. So just going back to the miracle happening and imagining that you're, wor- you're walking into a workplace, what kind of things are you hearing people say to each other in this place where mm-hmm. everyone is treated equally? I guess it's more also about what you don't hear as opposed to what you do here. So as opposed to hearing, you know, sorry, as, when you walk in, I think it's, I think it's basically based on feeling truly accepted within your workplace or within your society or within your groups out with that, whatever, whatever part of this life of your life it might be, but having a sense of integration, feeling like you belong is so incredibly important and scientific, sorry, and sorry, research has already shown that those who feel like they belong within their workplaces or their groups or whatever have a much um, stronger sense of mental health. They have um, increased senses of, uh, as we mentioned before, productivity and so on as well. But you feel like you can actually be yourself. That's one of the most important things. So if you walk into a workplace, rather than having somebody feeling afraid of asking you a question, because they feel like it might sound offensive. And this is where I can teeter on that uncomfortable zone, basically. Some people are too scared to ask questions because they feel they might offend the other person. But in, in all honesty, when you ask those questions, you're it's like when somebody asks me a question, it's really touching, it's heartwarming because it makes me realize they want to learn, they want to know more. And it also brings you both together as two people, um, as two human beings. Um, like what kind of question are you are you thinking of in yeah. your mind when you say that? Well, uh, you know, one of the most common ones, as you could imagine, is if somebody says to me, well, why do you wear that on your head? You know, and they don't even know what to call it. But so many people have said to me, you know, I've always wanted to ask you this, but I felt really, I felt like it might be rude to ask. But in my mind, I'm like, yes, please do ask because 
if you don't ask, you don't learn. And if we're not learning, we're not growing and we're not being able to be more accepting of one another. So that's just one example. Or for example, uh, other ones might include, oh, you know, so there's other ones, but I think it's when so things can become a bit tokenistic sometimes. That's what you want to avoid, you know, where you might have conversations and you're constantly seen as a representation of every type of taboo box out there. And um, you're put on a pedestal to just like constantly spout out words, but it's those very practices are not being initiated internally. That can happen. I've seen that happen with a lot of people as well. So there needs to be congruency, if you like. Yeah. Needs to be follow through, and there needs to be a, it needs to be a genuine. Yeah, it needs to be a genuine question, doesn't it? Yeah, pretty much. So I, I guess genuine question, but uh, genuine, but also of course putting it forward in a respectful manner. You know, but yes. this is where it gets a bit confusing. Someone will say, "I don't know if it's respectful for me to ask or not," but if it's something you feel will help you understand the person more, then ask. Yeah, lovely. And I'm just going to go back to uh, what you said earlier about uh, having law in place. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to put a bit of law in place, mm-hmm. what might that be? Oh, where do I start? <laughs> um, <clears throat> having having worked with a lot of equalities organiz- uh, and diversity kind of based organisations, this is something we discuss often and I wouldn't know where to begin. For example, Recently, I'd been speaking about mental health and well-being at, in regard to the Equalities and Wellbeing in Manufacturing report that was published just on Monday. And one of the things that resonates so strongly is I would personally love to see it mandatory to make mental health and well-being training in workplaces made, made just as mandatory and important and seen as just as importantly as physical, physical supports. Other things, making sure that it's it's mandatory to have, especially those within leadership or management positions, undertake unconscious bias training, undertake other types of support trainings that they can then use to support their employees. And for organizations to have to report on not just a gender pay gap, but there are a lot more protected characteristics than gender. And as much as having that, having those numbers is, is critical for us to understand how well we're doing. So Unfortunately, we see a lot of the time organizations, you know, you're told to go do a 20 minute online course and suddenly you're given a digital badge and you become the most equal diverse person on the planet, right? <laughs> I mean, that's that's great and all and it's great in its own way because it's a quick learning. But implementation itself needs to be put in place. And for me, I would make accountability and kind of reinforcement of those kinds of supports mandatory within, especially within workplaces. Lovely, yeah. Because there's, there's so much out there, as we know, that's mandatory for our physical health. But yeah. uh, unfortunately, at the moment, it's not seen mental health for whatever reason. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not given that same parity. Great. Well, I'm going to share the screen now with Naz's question. Do you want to share it with us? And then yeah. we'll open up the open up the floor to, to questions from any of you. You want to just run through your question yeah. there, Naz? So my question to everybody here today is, what does real, true acceptance mean to you? So that is obviously out with the workplace and within the workplace throughout society, it could be any of this. But what does it truly mean to you? And I guess in these moments, this is when I ask everybody to consider where they feel they sit in the society they're in. 
So in terms of we, we learn about our own types of privilege, we learn about how stereotyping can become a thing, you know, like political impacts and how that then can translate over to certain minor minority groups then being punished for things that they have nothing to do with and so on, you know. But what does true real acceptance mean to you? Lovely. And I think we're going to you'll find it, the question there in the chat so that you can refer back to that. So who would like to either respond to Naz's question and or ask her a question if you want to perhaps use the reaction tab and we can ask you to unmute. Alison. No, no, there's a question. It's just where it's, where you Sorry, can, first of all, can you just see uh, where, where is it you're, who is it you're working with or what is it you do? <laughs> I'm, um, yeah, I do some procurement consultancy, coaching and training, but I also work in training and coaching on mental health well, and well-being. And what you've, I've, I've never really understood the, the female piece around diversity personally. What you've helped me do is understand that where I do sit, you know, in your question, so in terms of what what edges am I feeling is about age. Yeah. So that's really, it's like, oh, 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 yes. I talk a lot about wise womanhood, interestingly. So, but, I, but it's from an age perspective rather than a female perspective. Now, I don't know. I need to look at that. It's just, I deny that there's, that the female bit, but I don't deny the age bit, but it's the age bit that I, where I feel the edges more. Mm. That's, I don't know. That's an opposite. What do you mean by feeling? Do you want to, do you want to unpack feel, a little bit? What do you mean by the edges? I feel more not accepted, I suppose. I feel completely accepted as a woman and I've never noticed when I'm not being accepted. Good question. Thank you. So, so that's when I don't understand other people when they say that they're not accepted for that, I suppose. Whereas right. my age, perhaps that's more of the fact that I don't accept my own age. Over to you, what are your thoughts on that? On... I, I completely understand the, the former part of your statement in terms of maybe not recognising it from the female perspective, because often, maybe depending on the sector you're in, um, it's going to be more or less obvious. So for those who are in, very, for example, very male-dominated sectors, it's, it's seen over and over and over again that it is an issue. But for those that might be in different sectors where there is more uh, gender balance, it's not as noticeable. So I'm, I'm so glad for you that, you know, that's not an issue. But in terms of uh, age, age is another protected characteristic. And um, studies have shown that within most sectors, you know, like ageism is a, is a problem. So whether it's actually from the other side of the, from different sides of the spectrum, it could be somebody very young in a senior position, or it could be, say, someone who's of a an older age group, but coming back into work or whatever. What you tend to, and here, like Alison, for a lot of women within, say, the STEM sectors where there is gender imbalance, age and gender can come together on, in an intersectional way. And that's seen as an bigger issue to actually so so for say women coming back into the sector after let's just say 10 20 years of a break um this is another issue which is being discussed more i know there's a lot of initiatives uh, out there and organizations dealing like age scotland is it age scotland yeah um who already have a lot of material on this but 
what I'm finding is what you tend to find is a lot of people when it comes to the age part, they feel like they're not taken as seriously. Uh, that's kind of one of the, the bigger complaints that comes out or they're felt that their, their experiences are no longer felt valid considering depending on whatever sector you've come from you know this could be somebody who's from the manufacturing sector and has felt that they've gained a lot of valuable experience but because of the types of automation changing the types of technology changing it become might start they might be made to feel it's becoming redundant and this is where I think it's again that point about leadership it's so imperative that leaders are able to have these conversations and within general society people are having these conversations as well to realize that just because you know technology is of course changing that does not mean that previous experience and knowledge is made redundant in any way if anything use that as like a a, a starting block for changes that are going to happen thank you and Michaela you have added the comment question into the chat would you like to unmute yourself and share a little of what you've written there Are you there? Hello, sorry. I'm hoping you can hear me. My network Hi. is awful. That's why my video is off. <laughs> yes, we can hear you. We can't see you, but we can hear you. My point to response to that acceptance was just being to be yourself and not have others treading on eggshells around you as they're unsure of how to interact with you because of any superficial differences you may have. This is just coming from personal experience. I'm also a hijabi and Muslim revert and mixed race background. So Definitely kind of stand out in most corporate environments. And then my question was, how would you advise someone to better handle the apologies when people refer to you as the one with the handscarf? Sorry, wasn't warehouse to easily describe you. I mean, I'm one of two hijabis in a corporate workplace and I don't take any offense to this. I mean, we yeah. have 600 people in the company and there's two of us who wear headscarves. It's for me, it's just an easy way to describe this, but. It seems like people are scared to describe this as that. So I don't know how to better handle that. Yeah. So, you know, that's a fantastic point in terms of people walking on eggshells. So similar to what we were speaking about earlier, about people being afraid to ask questions. So I've been in a, you know, I, thank you also for, for sharing that, Michaela. And I've been in a similar situation where I've been in a very large organization and being the only hijab wearing Muslim woman, so visual female Muslim. and what you tend to find is because it is a lot of people might say that oh because this person is of a minority if I then go and approach them and say this it might feel like a sense of bullying upon them but I think this is where it's important and I well which will also be one of my top tips you know you're all just bringing out my top tips already um <laughs> so one thing I would definitely say is to maybe this is where we, we need to communicate with our management and our senior senior executives and so on, or the leadership within the company, where we say to them, look, it's very important. Well, we feel it's very important to have conversations about, you know, like the the more human part of the company, about talking about our, our, our employees. So, for example, within the company I'm in at the moment, Spire Global, we have started uh, different EDNI and uh, initiatives. It's not like anything you know, huge at the moment, but it's literally maybe a session a month where people can have conversations in a safe environment to ask these kinds of questions, where say there's a religious event coming up, somebody in that Slack channel will say, oh, by the way, you know, happy Eid to everybody or, you know, this or whatever religious event it might be, and explains a little bit about what that is. And it's funny because the response you find from a lot of people 
will be, I didn't even know about this. And it's great to have now learned about it so that going forward, I'll be more conscious. And that then opens the door for them to ask more questions. So when I once posted about a post about Ramadan and Eid, so from the from the Islamic perspective, I had quite a few people come to me later on and say, oh, I've always wondered about this. You know, like, is it that you don't eat at all for a whole month or is it just from from this point to this point? And I found myself becoming closer to those colleagues as well. And this included a lot of people within the leadership teams. So I would say have those conversations with your management to say, would it be okay if, you know, people from different backgrounds and ways of life are able to have some uh, platform to speak out on like this. And I know that can be quite scary, especially when, you know, you do feel like there's not many who are of that background as you in the organization. But like you said, Michaela, there could be a lot of people who are just afraid to ask. And sometimes it's just, we need to have that conversation first. Yeah, lovely. It's, it's, it sounds like it's, it comes back to being proactive, doesn't it? And, and all it's about citing specifics. You know, I've heard somebody say this, Therefore, what I'd like to do is a lunch and learn or, you know, something like that where you're, where you're, as you say, you're opening up people's worlds yep. to finding out more about what's happening for, you know, what, what happens in different cultures. And there's okay. nothing, you know, it's so interesting and, and people love to know more about it, don't they? Robert has said here, what can companies do to allow for more working flexibility for those of us from different backgrounds, faiths and responsibilities? e.g. caring for parents. Can you can, can you give us a swift answer to that, um, uh, Naz, before yeah. we move on to the next section? So a very swift answer to this is, and I, I think we all know what, kind of know what where this is going, but uh, allowing for flexible working options. And again, I know this can be difficult depending on the sector. You could It could be something like manufacturing. You're needed to be on the actual production lines, but p- flexible working isn't just about change in time shifts it could be about learning um, how to transition from one role into another for example or being given training on how to do this and so on but yeah I would say in a nutshell uh, flexible working is such an important part of the workplace culture nowadays especially post-pandemic and there's more and more conversation happening about this so definitely one way to go down it. Yeah great and there's more and more demand isn't there for flexible because we've now been flexible organized organizations that would before had said there's no way we could be flexible have suddenly found themselves being flexible right so they 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 know it can work in a in a different format great thank you and julie says working for an organization that isn't afraid to have courageous conversations gosh i love that format (laughs) where we speak openly and honestly about who we are and what makes us who we sorry what makes us who we are i guess allows us to be our true selves and i think that's why scottish engineering our colleagues at Scottish Engineering, our colleagues are our work family. Yeah. Lovely. I agree, 120%. <laughs> thank you very much. Right, well, I'm going. we're going to hear now some of Naz's top tips. So talk us through them, Naz. Here we go. For leaders. So as I indicated earlier, a lot of my top tips, everybody's already brought out of me already at this point. So I, I will be repeating myself a little bit here, but I'd like to approach this in, in two different ways. as two different categories. So one coming from the point of view of leadership. And when I say leadership, it's not necessarily just the CEOs and directors and managers within organizations, but also ourselves as leaders. And then the second half will be as ourselves as individuals. So from the point of view as a leader, 
I would strongly recommend all management, all leaders uh, among us to ask questions, ask, 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 you know, do not be afraid because like we said earlier, you cannot expect to learn and grow unless you're asked. And I know personally, as I said before, I would rather have somebody ask me and learn as opposed to just going by what some kind of biased media is putting out there on the news. So um, definitely the first one there is to have conversations and ask questions. Um, And I like the fact that, sorry, and I love the fact that you're saying that all of us are actually leaders, right? Definitely. Um, Because in one part of our life or another, we're going to feel that and we want to be that. Um, The second part is try to try our best to self-reflect often and to challenge our own internal and unconscious biases. Because as mentioned earlier, even no matter how many years you've been training within within the equalities field, we all have a smidgen even there. Uh, within us so to to question that um, within ourselves and whenever we notice ourselves thinking something saying something it's important to correct ourselves as well yeah I think within that is also again it's 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 challenging others right because because by its very nature an unconscious bias is unconscious sometimes it's difficult for us to even know it's there right yeah so this is why I've asked to write internal and unconscious because like you said unconscious bias we are unaware but this is built by our own life experiences these are judgments snap judgments we make we don't even realize we do but then some of us we also have internal biases these are ones that we know we are aware of that is within us but we're too afraid to question And this is where it gets uncomfortable for ourselves. But it's important if we want to live in a society that we can all get along, you know, that doesn't mean you have to take on somebody else's way of life. But just to get along and to be living with respect is to challenge that within within ourselves. Lovely. And last but not least for leadership is to honestly just check in with one another and be their biggest cheerleader when I say there that could be your employees those who report to you it could be you know like within your groups that you're in the others in that group because when you show interest in other people's lives it it increases a sense of trust it increases respect feelings of inclusion and care amongst all of those in that group and within the workplace it's there's idols of uh, research that's already proven that when that happens, productivity rises, innovation rises by over 80%. That's almost going up double. Employee satisfaction can arise. And when those arise, your customer satisfaction will arise. So this is very strongly linked to leadership. And I feel like I come back to that often, but it is a very important part for creating positive change. Lovely. Yep. And then going on to everybody as individuals. And these points will echo the first ones. Uh, So where I ask leaders to ask, 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 I will say to us as individuals, speak out because your voice is so important. And often what you are able to speak out about might actually help others as well, who might not have had the the chance or the moment to to hear those thoughts. So share, you know, share your thoughts and speak up. Yeah, because I think... Often when we don't, when we're thinking or we're worrying about something, we can feel isolated, right, yeah. in, by ourselves because we think this is only happening to me. And suddenly when we speak up, others say, oh, yeah, that's happened to me as well. Exactly. And I don't think it's all, always just about that is only me, that, that type of a scenario. I think sometimes it's more that, again, out of fear of creating conflict, right. human beings, as naturally, we, we mm-hmm. do not like conflict. We don't want it. I mean, 
except some on the planet, which I won't name. But so in that sense, we're so afraid of change and having conflict. But when things are, when, when words are communicated in a safe and respectful environment and manner, it's more powerful than it, in a positive manner. Lovely. Yep. And second point here, again, uh, kind of reflecting the self-reflect is to be self-aware. This one, I know that I am very, I'm guilty of myself because it's important to stop making excuses and to stop sugarcoating and to be more aware of our own well-being. So having been in situations in the past where, you know, for ex an example would be feeling overworked. What does overworked, being overworked look like? It's not the stereotypical image of somebody looking frazzled, sleepless, tired, and just complaining about being overworked. Overworking can look like somebody who has lost all forms of a social life, who lacks motivation, feels lethargic, lack of focus. It has impacts on their personal relationships as well. And often we make excuses to ourselves. We'll say, oh, no, it's just this one more week, this one more week. You know, it's just this one more little bit that we need to do. But it's so important that we become more aware of our physical and mental states that because if you are not within the right mental state, how can you then expect to make the, the changes in your life that you're wanting to make going forward? And then you can't and then expect other people to, to read your mind to know what's going on. So it's important to be self-aware so you, then you can have those communications going on from there. And I think more importantly, to admit to yourself, I am somebody who does not like the idea of defeat If that in a, in a strange way. You know, it's not competitiveness against anyone else. There's more competitiveness for myself. But at the same time, sometimes I have to really kick myself and say, you know what? No, that, and that's it. I need to put all of this down for the night and take a rest. Because otherwise you end up burning out, is burnout basically. And I, I'm so guilty of that myself. So that's a big point for myself. Absolutely. I, I would totally agree. The more we can do to raise our own awareness of our own, how we work best, if you like, how we are at our best is, is yeah. super important. And equally, I would argue that actually it's also, is why it's also so important that people notice from the outside if somebody's... Definitely if somebody's burning the candle at both ends, for for instance, because sometimes we can get so wrapped up in that cycle, can't we, that we don't actually realize we're doing it. Definitely, Self-awareness is gone because we're on that hamster wheel, right? Yeah, this is where leadership comes in to work yeah. together. Yeah, absolutely. Up, and, and that final point, kind of similar to the one before, is to learn to prioritize. So I know, of course, everybody for everybody, your careers are important. You know, we're, it's our bread and butter for the day. But without having a, a sound mind and having peace of soul, you know, we're not really going to be able to live. And there's a saying, you know, I'd rather, I don't want to just survive, I want to live. And often I feel like day to day, we're all just surviving and getting by, but we're forgetting to live in the moments. And as, as corny as that sounds, and I always say I'm a bit of a cop, is that sometimes we just have so much on our plates, it's hard to prioritize and know when to say no that's that again something I'm also very guilty of I would I was I've just never been especially when someone asks for help but if you aren't able to at least stand on your own two feet you're not going to really be able to help others up as well so learning to prioritize is a huge part of it yeah hugely powerful and hugely powerful when you've got an organization that really respects that yeah when you really respects the the power of saying no actually this is too much I can't take on anymore right now yeah, yeah. I think I've been Fantastic. very blessed to be within organizations where mm. the leadership has been able to say to me you know Naz it's okay to say no yeah lovely 
Great. Well, we'll move on now to ask you a few quickfire rapid questions. Naz hasn't been party to any of these questions before. She knows not what is coming to her. <laughs> so just your gut reaction to these questions would be okay. lovely. So here goes with the first one. Naz, what does vulnerability mean to you? Vulnerability to me means courage in some ways, because feeling vulnerable, often, often the word is associated in a negative sense, which it can be. But sometimes we need to make ourselves a bit more vulnerable in order to really grow. Like, and I keep using that word today, but it's so important. Um, Good, for example, jump in there. Okay, okay, there you go. <laughs> if you notice someone struggling, what's the first thing you would do? You elaborate on struggling, like what do you mean by struggling? If you notice someone was, was struggling to cope, they weren't their okay. usual self, what would you do? What would be the I, first thing you would do? I would look to show empathy and not just sympathy. I'd sit by them and not just tell them it's going to be okay, chin up. Fantastic, yes. And I'll just throw in there Patricia's note from the chat where she says, walking a mile in someone's shoes helps with understanding. We did a day of Ramadan and it helped us understand that we needed to be flexible with working hours, meetings, etc. Yeah, empathy. Great. Huge. Fantastic. What message, Nas, would you give your younger self? My younger self? Oh, how many there are. Um, <laughs> one of the big ones, I think, would be... Mm, learn to prioritise yourself sometimes. Lovely. Okay. And if you could wave a magic wand right now in every single workplace in terms of mental health, what would you make happen? Safer, more frequent communication between employees and leadership. What does safer mean? Safer means feeling, well, being in a safe environment to have that conversation where for bringing up a point, there's no retaliation or feelings of retaliation. For bringing up a point, you don't feel like you're going to be downgraded in any way or seen as a negative part of the workplace or something like that. Fantastic. And what can every person do, do you think, to best support their colleagues? I've said this before as part of my top tips, but speak up. In terms of one, speak to them. If you feel that there's somebody struggling, speak to them. And secondly, if you notice something happening within the workplace, speak up about it. Because just because it doesn't impact you doesn't mean that it's not valid. You know, it, if you see somebody else being treated in a discriminatory manner, speak up about it. Support them, be comrades to one another. Fantastic. And finally, do you actually want to go to space? Yes. So, so, so at the moment, I am a second round citizen astronaut candidate. Um, say so, that again. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Say that again. So as part of an initiative called Space for Humanity, where they're looking to democratize space and make it more accessible to, to people. And that that's not necessarily in terms of space tourism. It could be for scientific purposes. I became I passed like the first round of the citizen astronaut program and I became a second round candidate so we'll be just waiting to hear back about next results but uh, yeah fingers crossed <laughs> and the only thing you can say to that is watch this space yeah pretty much get it done done <laughs> <Hear> me. <laughs> Oh, Naz, thank you so much. That's absolutely brilliant. I'm going to hand over to Angus now, who will 
formally thank you. Absolutely brilliant. Nazia, I love what we do. I get a lot of pleasure out of it. And, uh, you know, one of the amazing things is meeting amazing people. And uh, that was really, really inspiring. I love your language for what you're saying. You're talking about people feeling closer, a family environment, questions as touching and heartwarming, how to learn and grow. Why would you not do these things as an organization? Why wouldn't you do these things? You know, so many reasons, so many positive reasons to do all of this stuff. I think also your analogies about the the swords as a form of self-expression, you know, discipline, growth, honor, faith, and precision. And that, the way you describe a sword being made and the pressure and the stress that it goes under, and then to come out sharper, more resilient, richer, and stronger. Yeah, the wonderful words. It's a wonderful story that you've told today. So on behalf of Petrors and everybody here, we would like to thank you very, very much. You know, that was a really great hour and really worthwhile. So thank you. Thank you very much, Lizia. Thank you so much for having me along. It's been fantastic chatting to everyone here. Great. Well, I look forward to seeing you in space. I'm looking forward to that day. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. On the well-being hour next month, we have Miles Team. And Miles is executive director of Coots, who were, I think, the bankers to the Queen Nation in the royal family. And Miles is talking about the subject of his talk is I wished I'd talked earlier. So he's going to talk about a bit about his own mental health and the struggles that he's had with that and how that then brought him around to create a program which went out to the, the whole of the NatWest group. So it impacted on thousands of lives in a positive way. Uh, he's also been on some program called Something to Do with Chelsea. I don't know what that's called, Amy. In Chelsea. That's the one. I've never seen it, never heard of it, know nothing about it, but apparently on it. If you like what we do, please get in touch. Follow us on LinkedIn. And, you know, we look forward to seeing you all again. Thank you. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Wellbeing Hour. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. These events take place regularly, so do join us for more. And if your organisation would like to develop a mentally healthy culture, we'd be happy to work with your senior team, people managers and frontline staff. Please get in touch at headtorch.org. We look forward to hearing from you.